It's so great to see you uh, this morning. Why don't you give yourselves a round of applause? You made it to December. First of December. It's this uh, strange tension, right? It's uh, this uh, tension of being utterly exhausted but not knowing where all the time has gone. I don't know how if uh, you can relate to that feeling of uh, just being spent because this year has been hard, but you just don't know where the time has gone because of how fast uh, it has moved. And it's nice that uh, December has uh, kind of come through. I know uh, most uh, stuff starts to wind down in November, but now exams are done, school's wrapping up, guys are back from varsity, uh, you, you know, your office is closing, all of that kind of stuff is happening. We're shifting gears uh, into uh, holidays and uh, we're getting ready for uh, Christmas. Something that is uh, something which is quite a big deal for us, and I like to encourage every year around Christmas, is specifically Christmas Day, we get a lot of guests to uh, our service. So more people come on Christmas Day that don't normally come any other time. And so what I want to encourage you to do is because when a guest is coming, they don't really know um, our, our setup. You know, you come every week, so you know how to get into the parking, you know where to park, you're aiming for your spots, because you know how to walk in and find your seats. For a guest, that is incredibly intimidating. And especially if someone is going to come to our service for the very first time, they don't know where to park, they're not kind of sure around how everything works. So here's my challenge for you for Christmas Day is if you want to be guest-friendly and make the experience for someone who's never come before great, park as far away from the entrance as possible. And let's leave uh, parking bays open uh, for people who don't really know where to park so they come in and go, ah, here's one right by the front so that they don't have to walk far and, and things like that. Deal? All right, you're going to park far. There's parking guards that'll be on duty, that'll look after your cars. You don't have to worry about uh, that. Uh, no one is going to get your car as a present. Uh, so you can park far. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look after guys that are coming as guests on Christmas Day. All right, I want to do a quick uh, stock take with you guys this morning. How many of you have put up your Christmas or, or some form of Christmas decoration up in your home? Hands up nice and high. Okay. How many of you have intentionally watched a Christmas movie already? What is wrong with you guys? Like, really? No, I'm just, uh, uh, there's, I'm just joking. Uh, I'm uh, not a huge decoration person or Christmas uh, kind of movie person, but this year we're quite excited. Uh, we're going to be resurrecting an old Christmas tradition because my kids are old enough now. We're on Christmas Eve. We do quite a big thing uh, we actually make a Christmas cake, a uh, birthday cake for Jesus uh, with like 21 candles and uh, we read scripture, pray and, and worship as a family, uh, just honoring the birth of Jesus. And so we're going to be doing that. We haven't done it uh, for about 10 or 12 years. And so we're going to be bringing it back now that there are younger kids to kind of relive the, the tradition and, and start that up again. So um, I hope you're going to be celebrating Christmas in, in the way that is meaningful to you. And as you're kind of getting into these holidays, I also know that this is uh, such a tense season as well. I know some of you guys, the pressure on kind of pulling off the perfect Christmas is real. And uh, you start to get quite anxious about cooking the perfect meal, making your house look perfect. 
And something about Christmas, which is also just so interesting, is that people kind of feel their economic situation more around this time than any other time of the year. Because the pressure to spend money, uh, to buy gifts, to eat a specific way, uh, that, that kind of pressure is more on now than what it is any other time of the year. And so maybe this uh, time of the year is starting to give you a little bit of anxiety uh, because of just kind of what life is like for you at the moment. And also just aware that for so many Riversiders, this might be uh, the hardest Christmas you've ever had to go through because of loss that you've had uh, during this year and uh, who's not going to be at Christmas for the first time this year because maybe kids have moved out, you've lost a loved one. We're just aware that kind of Christmas is supposed to be something, right? And I love the Christmas movies. And uh, there's always that moment where uh, a couple find love and have that kiss in the snow and you kind of have the warm, fuzzy feelings while you, in your heart while you're sweating uh, because we don't have this kind of cold Christmas, so we're 100 degrees watching guys in the snow having all the warm fuzzies in our hearts. It is this weird time of the year for us. But there's so much going on and there's so much tradition, so many expectations, kind of living in this tension of what the year has been because some of us might be going into this year feeling great. The end of the year is great because it has been a good year. You finished matric or you finished varsity or you know, you're in a good space. But for most people, uh, this year is tough. You know, I think about what, uh, so we've not had uh, water for three days. And uh, yesterday we had no electricity for most of the day. But I'm quite fortunate that I have a borehole, so no water's okay because of the borehole, but no electricity, we can't run the pump. And so for a few days, we've been living like a majority of South Africans are in our country with uh, you know, bad electricity and, and no great access to water. But the reality is there's huge uh, kind of disconnect between what Christmas is trying to tell us to feel and experience to what most of us are feeling right now. And so we're trying to kind of get into the Christmas spirit and that's why the Christmas music plays so early because they want you to buy all the stuff for Christmas. And I think the reality is that a lot of us are not really feeling kind of that Christmas spirit. And in fact, in our hearts, there's a bit of a disconnect and a, a restlessness. And right up front, uh, our theme for, for Christmas uh, that we're really going to be pushing into and speaking into is peace. I hope you can all see it there at the back. Peace. Because I wonder if we had to take a secret kind of poll, how many of us do not feel at peace with our lives, with the world, kind of a state of affairs? I wonder how many of your friends are immigrating you know, because they're not at peace with South Africa. And I wonder uh, how many of you are wrestling with some of these tensions because where you're at at work, where you're at at life, kind of what's happening is you're not feeling peace. And that's okay because I think a lot of people are not feeling peace. But when we think of Christmas and all the Christmas traditions and, the, you know, what the shops kind of put out in movies, and I'm okay with those kind of traditions, that's not a big deal for me, but I'm quite interested to really dig into the first Christmas again and to look at what was going on there and what God was saying in those moments. Because the first Christmas 
when we read those stories, there was also a lot of crazy going on. The world was not at peace. Kind of one of the first major issues uh, in the kind of the socio-political vibe happening uh, around the time of the first Christmas is that uh, Israel is under military rule. They're a subjugated people. Kind of what has been happening is Rome has taken over the whole world through military conquests. Uh, they have set themselves up as the ruling force over the known world. Uh, getting there wasn't easy for them and they had multiple conquests. One of their biggest uh, enemies during that time was Egypt. And so you've got God's people, Israel, caught between Rome and Egypt and they just kept on making a series of bad choices. So Rome was kind of coming through to fight Egypt. They went, okay, we're gonna back Egypt. We think they're gonna win. So they side with Egypt, Egypt loses. Uh, they found themselves getting really taxed and, and, and punished for siding with them. Then kind of Egypt gets quite strong again. And so they go, oh, shucks, battle's coming. We're gonna side with the Romans this time and Rome loses. And then they get kind of smacked by Egypt. And so for a long time, they've been kind of caught between rising powers fighting where they are, but right now, at the time of the very first Christmas, Rome is firmly in charge. And so there are subjugated people paying tax to their military kind of tyrant uh, guy who is, is really imposing heavy sanctions on them. Not a great environment to be living in, right? Tax is a sore issue in South Africa. But uh, imagine having to pay tax to your military conqueror uh, that's a kind of a, a little bit worse. The guy who is boss of the time is a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. We know that from the Christmas uh, stories and scripture tells us Caesar Augustus is leading. I don't know how much you know about the guy. He's the great nephew of Julius Caesar. And uh, he was adopted by Julius Caesar. He inherits uh, all of Julius Caesar's stuff, but he gives himself the name Augustus. And he's the first Caesar who sets himself up to be worshipped as a god. If you want to, the guys that come after him all kind of set up statues for themselves to be worshipped. He was the first Caesar to believe that he was divine and people need to worship him. So not only do you have a military conquest and you having to pay tax to, to them, but he also believes he's a god. And it's really interesting. And uh, we know from the Christmas stories that Mary and Joseph, they kind of head off uh, to go do uh, a census in their hometown because this guy, Julius um, or Caesar Augustus, is not happy. He wants more money. He wants to lord it over everyone by just how many people he has under his rule. That's why he wants a census of every person in their hometown to kind of get a full tally, to gloat to everyone that I have this many people and now I can actually get proper tax and get more money. That's a great environment to kind of be living in, right? I would hate to be living in that. We're restless and discontent and disgruntled and not at peace about our political stability and environment and what we're having to endure with taxes and tax money being spent. Part of what's causing so much disconnect in us, they were experiencing it at a whole nother degree. And that's kind of one of the big issues that these guys are wrestling with, they're subjugated. And we know if you've been tracking with us for a while, we've been preaching through Judges, 
we understand that this has been an issue for God's people for a long time. They get oppressed and subjugated, but God sets them free, right? He raises up someone and delivers them from their oppression. This is the second major issue of the time of the Christmas story that we know it, is that yes, they're subjugated by Rome, but God has been silent for almost 400 years. Right, the New Testament begins with the story of the birth of Jesus. Some of your paperback Bibles, if you still use them, has a blank page in between uh, the ending of the Old Testament and the starting of the New Testament. Have you ever wondered what that blank page is there for? It's representing that Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, last chapter, Malachi chapter four, gives a promise that God is gonna send someone who's going to uh, redeem Israel. There's going to be the savior. Someone is coming. And that Malachi being the last prophet, a prophet is someone who just speaks to God's people on behalf of God. He was the last. He gives his kind of final statement that God's gonna send someone. It's the last words he utters. Silence for 400 years. Now again, add that to kind of the, the tone of God's people where they're at. I mean, judges we saw, they were under oppression for 20 years, 40 years, 18 years, but eventually God sent someone to set them free. God has been silent to his people for 400 years. No victories. Guys, we're getting restless. Um, if you've grown up in a, in a Catholic tradition, you might have a Bible that's got a whole bunch of books from that period. We call them the Apocrypha, from what we call the intertestamental period. I wanna bore you with that, but between the old and the new, still history happens. And guys try to overthrow and, and, and bring liberation to Israel, but they lose. God doesn't give them the victory. And so they're really under the pump really struggling with this uh, God being silent for so long, oppression for so long, taxation, heavy taxation for so long. But the passages and the promises were still there. And I love this pro uh, prophecy and promise that comes in Isaiah chapter 9. And it's from verse six and seven. These passages are familiar to us around this time. But this was a prophecy that came through the prophet Isaiah about Jesus. And for, it says this, for to us a child is born and to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The greatness of his, uh, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. And he will reign on the throne, on David's throne, and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. We call this passage and passages like this, what it meant for God's people was this thing called messianic hope. That God would send a Messiah, a Savior, 
and this hope that it would come is really growing in the hearts of God's people. Silent for 400 years, oppression, God always sets us free, He always sends a Savior, He's done it to us every single time, and we know He's promised someone, someone is coming that's going to establish God's throne, a Savior is coming, He's going to bring peace to us as people. That is kind of the tone of when God speaks again for the first time in 400 years. He's been silent. Uh, there's all of this restlessness. Uh, there's military rule, no peace, a lot of restlessness, frustration, anger, disillusionment, no hope. But the promises are there. And the amazing thing, and what I love so much personally about the Christmas story, is we see the fulfillment of God's promises. And he does it in an incredible way. Because when he starts to move, and when he starts to speak to people, uh, he does it by appearing, the angel appears, and there's kind of key characters in the Christmas story, right? There's uh, the shepherds out in the field that watch their socks by night. And uh, then uh, there's Mary, there's Joseph, and the angel appears. And I love this because there's the promise, there's the hope, there's the discontent, but here's the message to those people that God brings. And I'm gonna just quickly go through them because you see something uh, very similar in every single one of them that you maybe don't see when you're dealing with each individual kind of character on their own. So here's some of the passages. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Uh, this will be the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angels, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem, let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. I love the words that the angels use. Do not be afraid, peace and joy. Right, those are things that a lot of us don't have right now. See, we are afraid because we're so uncertain about what's gonna happen in South Africa, election year, next year. I wonder how many of you at your year in functions and the bribes you've already had with family have spoken about the negative state of our economy and our politics, right? That's what we talk about because there is a growing fear. I know this is a touchy subject and so I tread very lightly when I mention this, but the land expropriation bill is causing a lot of fear and anxiety with a lot of people. We are not having peace and joy in our lives right now. There are a lot of things. Uh, well, thankfully, the petrol price is going down like 180 next week, Wednesday. So that's great for any of you driving down to the coast. So there is something to be a little bit excited about. But there's not this huge, overwhelming joy and peace. We're more like the shepherds. We're afraid. If you are in agriculture and you are under conquest by military rule, how much risk are you when you have flocks of sheep and, and hungry soldiers march past your fields? You're at risk. They're afraid. And what is the first thing the angel says to them? The first thing the Lord says in 400 years, do not be afraid. And then he says and he proclaims peace to you. 
We bring news of great joy. Move on to a young 13-year-old girl. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, to a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel said to her, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what, quite, what greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, hear the words, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with the Lord. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be the son of the Most High. Uh, the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. Again, the culture, uh, a woman to be found pregnant who's not married, uh, that's adultery. Mosaic law, you stone an adulteress. So God comes with his salvation plan, and it's to a woman who runs the potential of being publicly stoned. And the words are to her, do not be afraid. Many of us are afraid of where our relationships are at and where our family dynamic is at. And her family dynamic is about to be completely changed. We're going to get into that in a, in a few weeks' time. But he tells her the words, do not be afraid. And then there's the husband, uh, fiance, and all of this as well. And after, this is going to uh, Matthew's account. And after he had considered this, this is the angel speaking to Joseph an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary home as your wife. Again, he's running huge risk here. His whole world has kind of been turned upside down by God kind of speaking for the first time in 400 years. But God's salvation plan is coming into being. And the words to him are, do not be afraid. I mean, this guy, his fiance, he's found out is pregnant with a child that is not his. And he has to break the news to his community, to his parents. In fact, and again, we're going to speak into this. I don't want to give too much away. But he's going back to his hometown on Christmas Eve with his unmarried pregnant wife. You know, what a reunion that's going to be. He is not at peace. But the word message or the word of the Lord to him is do not be afraid. And I know it's not easy thing to just kind of go, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. When you think of where your job is at, where you think of, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how many of you guys, you've been avoiding that auntie uh, the whole year. Now you have to see her on Christmas day. And the first thing she's going to say to you is, where's your boyfriend? Or shouldn't she be married by now? You know, and you're kind of dreading some of those conversations. Or you are married. And it's like, well, where's baby coming? And, you know, you kind of avoid those kinds of things. And, you, you know, life's not where, you know, you kind of just want to say to her, you know, like, I know, right? I know. Okay, I also feel that. Yes, I would love to have brought a boyfriend home for Christmas this year. It hasn't worked out that way, Granny. You, you know, you just kind of want to call it as it is. But the finances of your business have not been great. You know, it's like, it's easy to say, Craig, you know, I mustn't be afraid, but I might not be able to pay my, my workers a Christmas bonus. You know, it's, it's really tough to not worry when I, I don't know if we're going to survive next year from a workspace. And we see that with these characters. I think uh, the, the message and uh, Jesus coming the way he did 
and the revelation to whom it did come to is very important to us because all of them are in unique, vulnerable positions and they're not at peace. And really, the the heart of what we want to kind of step into with this Christmas is this, embrace peace and step into peace. Because when Jesus comes and the angel reveals to all of those people, they've got a choice. And what's so amazing about every single one of them is they 100% step into God's peace. The angel reveals they get a message from God and they believe. I mean, Mary as a 13-year-old girl finds out she's gonna be pregnant by the Holy Spirit and she believes. I mean, how crazy is that? All the risks, she goes, okay. Okay. And Joseph, who finds out that his fiance is pregnant and you know he makes some plans to kind of deal with her quietly, the angel reveals himself And he hears the word of the Lord and he goes, okay. Okay. And the shepherds, they go, you know, okay, let's let's go. Let's go and do this. And and while they're afraid, while everything about their life is not peace, they step into peace. And they go, I'm going to believe the promises of God. I'm going to trust him. Now, when we talk about peace, and how hard peace is to attain for some of us, kind of if this is peace, there's something a little bit below peace that makes peace happen for us as, as people. And that's understanding God's sovereignty. That's a big word for a hot Sunday morning. But basically sovereignty is believing everything about who God is and what he's done and who he, say he says he is. Basically we sang that song, He Reigns, Oh, what a beautiful song, one of my favorites. Basically, that is God's sovereignty, like a sovereign ruler who reigns on a throne over a kingdom. God is the sovereign ruler of everything. He's on his throne actively reigning and ruling over everything that he created. Now, we don't often talk about that. We don't often use the word sovereignty. But I think for a believer... If there is an absence of peace, there's an absence of sovereignty. I'll say that again. If there's an absence of peace, there's an absence of sovereignty. If your heart is not at peace, it's because you are not trusting that I worship and serve a God who is currently ruling, actively on the throne. And then if you go, okay, well, I'm not at peace. He is on the throne. Then you kind of don't believe that he's good and that the way he rules is good. And that he is going to be good for me in this world. And that things that come from him are actually for my best interest. Here's some uh, quotes because I think these guys kind of summed it up a little bit better than me. So I've got three quotes this morning. Uh, If you have the church app, these will be in the app. If you don't have the church app, you need to download it. But uh, two of them are from uh, Charles Spurgeon. And I love these. And it goes like this, so there is no attribute more comforting to his children than that of God's sovereignty. Under the most adverse circumstances, in the most severe trials, they believe that sovereignty has ordained their afflictions, that sovereignty overrules them, and that sovereignty will sanctify them. There is nothing for which the 
the children ought more earnestly to contend than the doctrine of their master over all creation. It is Old English. It is Charles Spurgeon. The kingship of God over all the works of his own hands. The throne of God and his right to sit upon that throne. It is God upon the throne that we love to preach. It is God upon the throne whom we trust. Okay, I know that's uh, it's heavy. But what he is saying here is that for us, something that we need to be contending and fighting for most is our trust and understanding that our God is king over all he created. Right? He's not an elected president. He spoke creation into being. He is Lord over that, and he sits on his own throne over the things that he spoke into being. That's our king. That's what we talk about when he is the sovereign ruler over all creation. Not a country, not a continent, not a planet, but the universe that he created. And that's why we need to push into and trust and hold on to and dig into sovereignty because if there's an absence of peace in your life, there's an absence of sovereignty. Charles Purgeon goes on to say this. You maybe heard me say something similar to this. But sovereign, the sovereignty of God is a sweet pillow that you can lay your head at night. It is a beautiful truth, not only that God is in control over all, but is also working everything out, the good and the bad, for your good and his glory. The sweet doctrine is medicine for the soul that can take, that you can take in any season of life. If you're struggling, the solution to the struggling is the sovereignty of God. That everything is the good and the bad, and I love this, for your good and his glory. This uh, one comes from Alan Redpath. Again, just says it's so much better than what I could. It says this, There is nothing, no circumstance, no trouble, no testing that can ever touch me until, first of all, it has gone past God, past Christ, and right through to me. If it has come that far, it has come with a great purpose, which I may not understand at the moment. But as I refuse to become panicky, I love that word, but as I refuse to become panicky, as I lift my eyes to him and accept it as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing to my own heart, no sorrow will ever disturb me, no trial will ever disarm me, and no circumstance will ever cause me to fret, for I shall rest in the joy of what my Lord is. That is the rest of victory. I mean, just uh, let that sink in for a moment. If I'm experiencing something, if it's come to me, it's first gone through God and through Christ. And then what a response to go, okay, I have this. I'm not gonna panic. I'm gonna look up to the throne and accept it as it has come from him. I don't panic. I don't fret. Why? Because my Jesus is on the throne. You know, we look at uh, the story through the fulfillment of the prophecy because Jesus has been born, lived, died, resurrected, ascended, and we know he's coming back. These guys accepted peace, not even having seen Jesus born because they were able to trust in the promises of God. I want you to, uh, I'm gonna say something and then you're gonna repeat it after me, okay? He's got the whole world in his hands, all right? So now say it with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. Say 
All right, so there wasn't great conviction there. Uh, but say it again with me. He's got the whole world in his hands. The doctrine of sovereignty, the belief that God is ruling and he's on his throne. If you kind of, you know, some of that kind of stuff is, is hard for you to grasp. The easiest way to understand it is he's got the whole world in his hands. Now, you either believe that or not. And so again, and I'll say this, the absence of peace is the absence of sovereignty. And if you're struggling with peace in your life and you have fear and doubts and concerns about a whole lot of things, do you believe that God has got the whole world in his hands? And if he does have the whole world in his hands, he holds your world in his hands. Right? Because if he holds the whole world in his hands, he does hold your world in his hands. And the reason we get to have peace in this lifetime when it doesn't make sense is because uh, there is an eternal throne that is over governments, right? And it's run and it's being ruled by the Prince of Peace, the mighty counselor. When we don't make sense of policies that are being kind of discussed in parliaments, there is one who is the wisest of them all who rules. And his name is the Prince of Peace. And so this morning, do you trust Jesus as your Prince of Peace? And do you believe that he holds the whole world in his hands? And do you believe that he holds your world in his hands? And that what you're trusting in is you're trusting into a kingdom that has no end. That nothing can touch his rule and reign. And that it is good. And even if what you are experiencing is bad, that you can look up and to say, Jesus, I trust you. I trust you in this. Because you don't leave me. You don't forsake me. This is going to actually turn out for my good and for your glory. Well, I don't see it yet. I mean, how does Mary know that it's going to turn out well? That she's a 13-year-old unmarried pregnant woman in a, in a, in a society that stones adultery and adulterers. And she goes, okay, okay. Because in the moment, we don't know that it's gonna come out right, but we can trust his goodness that it's gonna turn out for our good and for his glory. So again, the challenge is this. I wanna sound like a stuck record, but I want you to be going the whole day singing he's got the whole world in his hands. I'm not gonna sing it for you because that'll just be a disaster. But I want that to be running through your head on repeats all day, nonstop. Because he's got the whole world in his hands. And he's got your world in his hands. And so if you want to come to a place of peace, you have to get to a place of surrendering to sovereignty. And resting your head on that sweet pillow of going, it's okay. Because he's got this. So I'm going to pray for us. And uh, I want us to get into a place of, of surrender 
Because the only way you are going to come to a place where your heart is at peace with every single circumstance that's going on around you and in our country and in the world is if you believe that there is a God who is reigning on his throne and he's coming back. And he's coming back. Because he rules, he reigns. He is good, he's a God of love. So God, this morning, as we are entering into our Christmas season, whereas your church, we celebrate the birth of you as a human. You did not leave us in our pain. You did not leave us helpless and oppressed. But even in your sovereignty, with military rule over your people, you were born a baby, so vulnerable in a manger. That doesn't concern you. You were able to come like that because you are supreme in your power. That there is nothing that can challenge your rule in all of creation because you are the author of all creation. You are the author of life. You are the author of death. You rule and you reign. You speak into being. But God, this morning we're able just to rest and accept that you hold the whole world in your hands. And because you hold the whole world in your hands, you hold my world in your hands. And so I'm able to surrender to peace, not because of who I am, because of who you are. You are, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And so I pray for everyone here this morning that you would start to grow our understanding of sovereignty, your rule and your reign, so that as that grows, our hearts can move to a place of peace, knowing that everything is gonna be okay. And you, we can say to you, God, my finances are a mess. Okay, and I'm gonna trust you. My family stuff's tense, but okay, I trust you. My future is uncertain. Okay, I trust, I trust you because you hold my world in your hands. Amen.